Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and it is Monday. Kind of a weird day to do the podcast, but just didn't, uh, honestly, just didn't have time yesterday on Sunday. So we're uh, we're getting it done today, Monday, February 27th. And this weekend, we saw the second Triple Crown of 2023, and we were in Arlington, better known as Dallas, Texas. And for those of you who have never been to that event, it's uh it's a great one to visit, man. The stadium is just all time awesome. It is bigger than I have the vocabulary to accurately describe. It really fits the everything's bigger in Texas mantra. It's uh it's truly incredible. It's a really really great venue for Supercross and I wish the weather would cooperate. Every damn time we go there, pardon my language, it's cold, it's raining, and it's just bad timing. Like it was 81 on Wednesday. We get there on Friday. It's raining and like 45. Uh, so yeah, kind of a bummer on that end. It kind of ruins the uh, the pit uh, fan fest activities. And, and it was still fine. It wasn't raining, thankfully, on Saturday afternoon. But it was cold. It was cloudy. It wasn't very inviting. Uh, and I think most people after they made the rounds, we're, we're happy to go inside and, and be, you know, in the 70-degree temperature of AT&T Stadium. Before we talk about the racing, of course, we need to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires. I got to see the uh, the crew from Pirelli in Dallas this weekend, so uh, good times were had. Thanks. Good to see Josh and, uh, yeah, all the crew there um, from Pirelli had some of the team from Italy over, and, uh, yeah, always enjoy getting to uh, sit down and, and just catch up. So good to see them. Uh, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, both of them have been on uh, since the very beginning. Thank you to both of them. Uh, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, that promo code JT23 for Works Connection. I saw uh, Ryan Humphrey and the team from Proglo this weekend as well. They were there. They're based in Shreveport, so they made the the jaunt over to Arlington. So it's cool to see them. Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen Robert Carrico from Fast Foundry in a minute, so hopefully uh, hopefully he can make it to a race soon. Uh, Talked to Jason Cobb from TL Speed Shop today, and actually, actually he's got a couple of listeners that are out on a ride um, as we speak. So that's really cool. Thank you to uh, all you listeners who spend your dollars with uh, these sponsors. You know, it doesn't have to be necessarily this show, but whether it's supporting you know Pulp or whatever. Um, I'm a big believer in spending your money inside the industry. We all are uh, kindred spirits in that way. So thank you uh, to the crew that's down at TL Speed Shop with uh, Jason Cobb and the team right now. Uh, International Vet MX Series. You can go to oldtimersmx.com 
and check out the uh, the upcoming race. It's the first event of the year. We're about five weeks out. It'll be at Sandy Valley in Nevada. And just a great crew, you know, vintage riders, not vintage bikes, but vintage riders. And they're really catering to the 30 and up crowd. Great weekend of racing, lots of track time. And uh, yeah, so they're they're brand new for 2023 and want to thank them very much for being on board. That's International Vet MX Series. Grantstone Boots, of course. I got some new sneakers. And if you haven't seen their new sneakers, definitely go check that out, grantstoneshoes.com. You can see the new sneakers that they, they have, and they are amazing. I can't wait to get uh, my hands on a pair of those. And I didn't like, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I didn't know they were coming. So I saw this ad, I think it was a YouTube ad and I was like, oh, or maybe it was an email, but I was just like, oh my God, I, like they're, they're really, really great. And, um, for me, you know, I do wear my boots all the time. I wore them last night, went to dinner and, uh, but sneakers, I mean, sneakers are an everyday type thing, right? I can wear them to work. I can wear them at the races because I can't really wear boots at the races. I, I just walk way too much. There's just no way I can get away with that, but sneakers, I'm in. So that that's going to be a really nice addition uh, to the collection. Uh, of course, I want to thank Fly Racing as well. Um, be back in the office tomorrow. I got a day at home. That was really nice. Uh, not that any of you care about that. Uh, but yeah, being at home, still working and doing emails and, and, you know, making sure we're ready for our kinetic mesh launch this weekend at Daytona. But just being able to go around town and get things done and catch up on life a little bit, it helps me on a on a personal level in my just your overall mood and sentiment and uh, motivation, all that stuff. It really does wonders on that level. So that was cool. As for the racing, and thank you to everybody for your patience as I work through those sponsors. But the racing, the 250 class, Nate Thrasher gets his first win of the year. And he was oh so close at Tampa, as we know. But I felt like this 250 class was a bit of a war of attrition. You know, like everyone was crashing. There was chaos. You know, Hunter goes down in the first corner in the last one. Hunter, or excuse me, Nate Thrasher crashes in the last one. Jeremy Martin crashes in the first one. Hayden Deegan crashes in the first one. Jordan Smith crashed a bunch of times throughout the night. So there was no smooth sailing really for anyone. It was who was going to make the least amount of mistakes. You were going to make mistakes, but who was going to make the least amount of them? And uh, Nate Thrasher came out on top. And uh, for those of you who were following along, he does have a torn ACL and that's no fun. Uh, I read, I wrote an article today uh, that mentioned that scenario because I've done that. I've done it twice and it's, it really sucks, man. You have to constantly be attending to your knee therapy and ice after every time you ride and you can't run anymore. You have to do literally everything in the world other than, you know, go fast on your motorcycle. Like it's just a nonstop battle to, uh, yeah, to basically move forward, you know, and you can't really ride the same. Like you can't, you always have to think about if you put your foot down, if you dab your leg, if you crash, all that stuff sucks. Um, it's just not the same. And I liken it to, you know, most of these guys, when they go ride, like they're just worried about, okay, I got to go as fast as I humanly can. Like, how do I get better on my dirt bike today? How do I go as fast as I know how to go? I don't, and I'm, I'm, kind of guessing how Nate's knee is just from my own experience, but he's not thinking that way. He's thinking about, okay, how do I manage this injury? How do I go really fast without making this injury worse? Because if he does more damage, he's going to be out for the year. And that's, that's a real threat to him at this point. And it's not, it's not a good time. It's just a constant pain in the ASS. It truly is. Um, You're just always thinking about it, dealing with it, the after effects, 
you have to make sure you tape it up every time you ride and you tra- you have to change how you train you can't lift the same way you can't run you have to you know like do a lot of stationary bicycle work it's just a big hassle and it'll be interesting to see if he ever gets it fixed or how that um kind of he goes about that long term um but that's yeah torn acl is never good news for anybody in this sport so We'll see how this series plays out, but he got his first win at Arlington with a torn ACL, so uh, so kudos to him. Jordan Smith, he's still Jordan. You know, like he's so incredibly fast, and he looks like he's the fastest rider on the planet when he's upright. The problem is he's not always upright. He crashes a lot. He makes a lot of mistakes, and this is not new. You know, Jordan just does Jordan things, and – you know, I, I heard a lot of people that were so hyped up on him coming into the season because of how fast he was going. And I was kind of like shrugging my shoulders because, yeah, Jordan always goes fast. Like, okay, yeah, you put Jordan with his talent and his ability on a, you know, monster star Yamaha, he's going to go fast. Like, I, I don't have any doubt about that. But where I have a problem is if you tell me, nope, he's got to figure it out. He's not going to crash. He's not going to have any of those issues. Sort it out. Then I kind of like, hmm, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe. Like, I'm not saying it's absolutely incorrect. I'm just saying I can't just nod my head and say, okay, I believe you, no problem. Because I have so many years to the contrary. I have all this evidence to tell me that that's probably not going to happen. You don't just typically change everything about your riding and racing characteristic, characteristics in one year, like they usually, you can't just flip a switch and, you know, the zebras don't change their stripes or however, whatever cliche you want to throw at this, it's usually just how it goes. And guys that are super consistent and don't crash a lot, but maybe don't have the top end speed, which we'll talk about a few of those. I'm kind of foreshadowing that. Those guys don't just flip a switch and turn into the fastest guy on the track that crashes all the time. Like that just doesn't happen. These guys are who they are. And it's really difficult to change who you've always been. Like that's just not something we really see happen because when you're out there in the moment and you're just going on instinct, you revert back to what you know and you just act instinctually. And that's, this is what happens. You do the same things that you've kind of always done. So I don't expect to see anything different from Jordan. I think he'll probably win a race. I think he'll be up front a lot. And I think you'll also see him picking up his bike a lot. That's just, that's just who Jordan Smith is. Doesn't make him a bad person. He's actually a super nice guy. But that's who he is as a motorcycle racer. Hunter Lawrence, you know, he gets third on the night. Um, he probably could have, should have, would have won the uh, the overall if he doesn't crash in the first corner of the, uh, the final race. But, I mean, first corners are part of racing. Re- remember how bad of a weekend Jet Lawrence had last year in Arlington because he crashed on the first lap so many times. So I think for Hunter, you know, he was given a gift of a nice points lead uh, early in the season. And he would have had the points lead anyway. I know that. But Jordan and Nate and these guys being all over the map as far as, you know, inconsistent results really made it a little bit easier on him. You know, Max was consistent, but I don't think Hunter has Max as his biggest threat. And maybe he should. Maybe that's wrong of me to say, but I think he believes if he has to go head to head with Max, he's going to come out on top of that 99 times out of 100. So I think he worries a, like a Nate Thrasher or Jordan of these guys with really, really top end speed. 
uh, a you know a pace maybe that he can't match. That's a little bit more worrisome than a guy that's just going to be kind of hanging around. But and really, I don't know if he's going to win or not. You know, that's it's not as threatening. The consistency is something that can get you in trouble, right? If he's just sitting there all year, a la like Tim Ferry in 1997. But I don't think Hunter's going to be inconsistent enough to really have that as a, a winning strategy. Like that's not going to – Hunter's not going to open the door for that strategy to win. Uh, that's just my perspective, but we'll we'll see. So that's kind of it for the 250. I mean, there was a lot of chaos. The racing was super exciting. Um, but, I mean, it's just a 250 class, right? It's – I don't know. The, the This podcast is always going to be very much geared towards the 450s because that's the elite level of racing. That's a premier class. It's the most interesting to me. It's got all the class, you know, former class champions in it. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's where I think all the storylines should be steered towards. It's they, they, these guys deserve it. You look at the list of guys in this class. It is wildly impressive how much talent this 450 class has in it right now. And we're missing guys. We're missing Ferrandis. We're missing Cincerillo. You know, we're missing a bunch of guys. Sabachi, we'll see. Um, and it's still this deep. So for those of you who don't listen or haven't listened before, I do uh, a power ranking and it does have timely results in it. Uh, But I also look at it a little bit more big picture. I try to not be victim of the moment. I look at trends. Um, I look at guys who are kind of on the rise or maybe they're backsliding a little bit. Um, I, I try to take all of those things into account and move guys week to week accordingly. Now, there are 10 of them, and this week at number 10, making his debut, I believe. Let me, let me scroll up and see if he was in here last week. I don't think he was. No, he was on the honorable mentions last week. Justin Cooper is making his debut at number 10. And you look at his results, he's gone 7 7 10 9. And that's really impressive. I mean, this guy's never raced 450 Supercross. He jumped in late, right? Not in the middle of the series, but late. And I, I have nothing but kudos to give him like he's ridden ridden really well now if you want to be a naysayer if you want to look for things to be a detractor on you could say that he got shuffled back really fast in that last main event like he got a good start and the top guys just pushed him to the back that's fair that's what happened uh but look at look at the guys that are doing it to him it's sexton tomac webb anderson like these are championship caliber guys that's not where justin cooper is yet Maybe he gets there. I don't think it's impossible, but he's not there yet. So to see those guys kind of push him out of the way, he probably wasn't thrilled about it, but I kind of, it's to be expected for me. Um, These guys are just on a different level, especially the top few. They're, you know, look at, I'll give you another example. Chase Sexton, who we'll talk about, he crashes into Jason Anderson in the first corner of the first race. He was blowing by guys. Like they were amateurs and that's overstating it. I know that's hyperbole, but like he passed Christian Craig, like nothing. Like Christian Craig is one of the best supercross riders on earth. He just is. You watch his skill level, the way he can attack a racetrack. He is so, so gifted. And Chase Sexton went by him. Like he wasn't even there. Like he was like, dude, get out of my way right now. Like that's seriously like how it was. And it, all that really goes to show is how high the level is at the very, very top. Um, it's not a, it's not anything negative on anybody. It's more just uh, kind of laying compliments at the feet 
of the very top few. So that's kind of what happened to Justin Cooper, but I do think he deserves to be in this top 10. He's been really, really solid, better than I expected. I, I will say that, better than I expected. Number nine is the aforementioned Christian Craig, and he is getting better. Um, I don't think he's on the pace of the top few, like I just talked about. You know, he got, I think he got a little bit of a wake-up call as Sexton went by, because Sexton came from way behind him, blew by him, and was just gone. Like, he, I, if you're Christian Craig, you just have to be like, wait, what? How in the hell did that happen? Because if you're Christian Craig, you're looking at your ability and being like, yeah, man, I'm pretty good. Like, I should be able to be I, – I guarantee you going into the season, he thought he was going to be, like, battling for podiums. And I don't blame him. But when you see Sexton come up and go by and check out that fast, you have to, like, rethink all of it. <laughs> like, the, God, he was going fast. I don't even have the, the right words to, to say for how fast Sexton was going in that first one. But Craig deserves credit. He's getting better. Um, he's, I think, a solid top 10 guy now. And uh, it gives him a base to work from. You know, he can try to work up from here and get into that top five battle. Number eight is Joey Savacci. And I, I left him in here because I don't know what his health status is. If you notice, I don't have Cincerello in here anymore. I don't have Dylan Ferrandis in here anymore because they're not racing right now. And Joey, we'll see. Like, if he's going to be out, then I'll take him out too. But as of now, I think he's going to try to be at Daytona. We'll see. Uh, there's a lot up in the air with his team and his wrist and lots of unanswered questions. Um, but Joey had been riding really well. It was a bummer to see him go down uh, and miss the, most of the racing. He went out in race one. And, uh, yeah, hopefully he's okay, and hopefully he can get back to the series. Um, but I, I – left him in here for now even if he's healthy Daytona may still be his last race anyway uh, I know the team has said they're going to keep him and keep moving forward but I've also heard that he said nope that's not happening so who knows we'll just play it by ear and uh, if you see the 17 on the track after Daytona then we know which way it went number seven I have Ken Roxon, and if you're a big Ken Roxon fan you could be like WTF, why do you have Ken Roxon seven? That is outrageous. That is ridiculous. I, I understand. I get it. But I'm kind of looking at Kenny's last few races. This weekend was better. He was really good in that sec in that first race. Race one, he was really good. He was pressuring Tomac. I was impressed. The rest of them were, eh, it's okay. Not, to, not, not terrible. Definitely better than Oakland. The Oakland main event was awful. Tampa was okay too, so... Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on Kenny, but I also think there's a lot of turmoil there. I don't think he's happy with the bike. I don't think he's in a good spot mentally. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what Daytona brings. But if you wanted to move him up to five, I could go along with that. I could kind of shrug my shoulders and say, okay, yeah, no problem. But I have him at seven just because of all the noise uh, that's been going on around him. Like, I just don't like, I don't like the uncertainty and the, bike change every time you go out type stuff. I don't like that. I don't think that's good for this point of the series. You should have your bike somewhat sorted and be worried about going fast, not just a constant flux, you know, as far as your, your bike, that, that just from my own experience, that, that doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't end well. If you're literally changing your bike dramatically every weekend, number six, I have Justin Barsha and I think Barsha was better then his results showed this weekend. He kind of could have, would have got a third in that first race, but he goes over the berm. Uh, but he was aggressive, man. He was really going for it. 
you know, when Sexton passed him, he got really aggressive with Sexton, which I kind of thought was silly. Like, hey, dude, he's going to pass you and check out anyway. If you wanted to give Barsha credit for that, I, I get it. You know, Barsha always fights for his position. And that's a point that Steve makes all the time. It's like, you shouldn't just be letting people buy. I, I get it. But, you know, making contact with somebody who maybe he thought he, or maybe he didn't know how fast Sexton was going. Like when I'm watching it, I'm like, dude, Sexton's going to check out on you anyway. Um, but, you know, if you want to fight that argument, and I always do that, like that's maybe that's a, maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's a flaw, but I always make a point and I'm always kind of debating it in my head as far as I think if you are going to take a side, you need to be able to take the other side and make that argument and then know that the previous argument was better, right? Like which side has more merit? And then that's the one I'm going to take. So I think that if the guy, if you know the guy's faster than you, like don't smash him and try to screw up both of your races. But the other side of that argument is look how many times Barsha has gotten really aggressive and held a guy back. Like look at San Diego, what he did to Roxon. Roxon was terrified to pass him. And I maybe terrified to overstating it, but he checked up about a million times when he was trying to go around him and Roxon ended up, or excuse me, Barsha ended up holding him off. So it's hard to argue the logic because it has worked. Um, in this case, it just wasn't going to work. Sexton was just simply too fast and he was going to get him anyway. The only way he was going to prevent that from happening was just knocking him down like he did actually at San Diego as well. And I hate that stuff. Like, don't go in and just clean the guy out. There's too much at stake for you to do stupid stuff like that. So Barsha's at six. Number five is Aaron Plessinger. And he went six five five. It's not an earth shattering result, right? I get it. Um, but I think he's been better and that was a solid result. And if you've watched him, he has been inching closer and closer to the front. Now, is he on an average basis as good as Anderson, Sexton, Webb, or Tomac? No, he's not. And that's why he's behind them. But I think he's closer than he's been. If you look at his trajectory, I think it's kind of an uptrend. Like he's getting better. And that's really all you can ask for. Uh, it doesn't matter what position you're in. If you're getting better week to week, then that's that's a good place to be. That's what you, what you want to be doing as a season wears on is improving and and moving forward against your peers. So I have uh, I have AP at in fifth, and just like almost everybody else in this class, he's in a contract year, and I don't know where he ends up. So he needs to be putting his best foot forward. Before we go for, through the last few of these guys, and I'm sure you know who's left. Again, thank you to Pirelli Tires. Thank you to Plum Creek Funding. Thank you to Guts Racing. Check out all their e-bike stuff. Uh, they have seat covers and full seats for e-bikes are coming. I'm not sure if they're available yet, but they uh, obviously are exploding into the e-bike market. Fast Foundry, check those, guys, check those guys out. Small business, they can do uh, virtual events. They can do real events. They can help you with your accounting. Uh, great team over at Fast Foundry. Proglo Wash, get your for, uh, Power Sports formulated wash from them. Work Connection, JT23 at checkout. They have the, uh, obviously, the Pro Launch Start devices. They're uh, tried and true. It's what everybody that gets the whole shot pretty much has it on. Factory Honda, uh, Monster Star Yamaha, all the all the whole shots you see. Guess what? They use Pro Launch Start device. They also have that, uh, the Yamaha foot peg mounts that Chris Kiefer helped develop. Uh, will improve that rider triangle for the 2023 Yamaha 450. International Vet MX Series, you can check out their website at oldtimersmx.com. Uh, first event's coming up, first weekend of April in Sandy Valley, Nevada. 
great weekend of racing. I, I highly recommend going to check those guys out. Go visit TL Speed Shop. Side-by-sides, they're based in Wickenburg, Arizona. You can go on a uh, weekend ride. You can go wine, a wine tour. You can go to Baja. You can do whatever. Like They can totally set you up. It could be a corporate event. Um, and uh, again, again, some uh, industry seating listeners are there right now. So that's really, really cool. Grandstone Boots, check out their new sneakers. Go to grandstoneshoes.com, and you can see their new line of sneakers. And, of course, I always say it's last but not least. I need to stop doing that. But Fly Racing flyracing.com, our new kinetic mesh will be launching this weekend at Daytona. So check that out. Now the last few guys, number four is Jason Anderson. And this one wasn't too tough. I, I, I feel like he is solidly number four. I don't really think there's an argument to be made for him to be anything but fourth. Um, solid night, right? I think he was better than his results probably showed due to that first turn crash in the first race. He wins race two. And he's riding really well. You know, Oakland, he crashed. Um, wasn't I don't think the track was really conducive to what he does well. You know, it was really sticky, really rutted. Like, that's not really Anderson's forte. You give him a slippery racetrack that's really technical to find traction on, and you're going to see some superb riding from Jason Anderson. That's kind of what Arlington was. It was much slipperier, slipperier than uh, what it looked like. And Anderson is a master of low traction environments. So great job to, uh, to Anderson. And he's doing well, right? He's in a contract year, just like almost all these guys are. Uh, and I'm going to do a, uh, a silly season podcast. I made the decision. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to have all the answers, but I'm going to kind of lay out the case for some of these guys where I could see them going. And I don't have a ton of Intel, but I know enough about, where these guys want to be, what they want to do, who the teams are looking at, that maybe I can share some insight. If nothing else, it's going to be good bench racing. Um, anyway, number three is Chase Sexton. And man, this was tough. I went back and forth in my head for, I don't know, 10 minutes. Like, think about how long 10 minutes is just thinking about a topic back and forth. Doing that thing I always do, making the case for each guy, making an argument. <clears throat> and uh, I ended up with Sexton at three. And I'll tell you why is because he, on a big picture scale, doesn't have the credentials. And if everything's equal, he doesn't have the pedigree that Webb does as of yet, right? Webb's a two-time champ. Webb won the race this weekend in Arlington. He almost won the race in Oakland. He won the race in Tampa. So I think Webb just has the edge over Sexton. You could argue that Sexton's the fastest guy on the track. I would say you're probably right if you made that argument. But I think that Webb deserves the nod for now, just because he's come on so strong as of late. And that, that race three whole ordeal, that was insane. Um, Webb is just so good. And, and this, obviously we'll get to Webb, but Sexton is probably my favorite rider to watch. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit in a minute, but I want to get through the rest of these and I have some notes on, on Sexton. Uh, Webb, number two, what more can you say? You know, his race craft is phenomenal. Uh, maybe the best ever. He just knows where to go, where to be, what these guys are going to do before sometimes they do it. And when you look back over the course of Webb's career, he's kind of always got the best of certain guys, right? In 2021, it was Ken Roxon. He just was able to figure him out. And years before that too, 2019, if it was late in the race and Ken Roxon was right in front of Webb, 
was lights out. Like, good luck to Kenny. Webb was just going to figure you out, find a weakness, and make it happen. Remember that crazy last corner pass that Webb made over Roxon in Arlington a few years ago? That was insane, right? And we've just seen Webb do this time and time again. And I think he honestly has, like, iced tea running through his veins, right? Because he's, he's from North Carolina. They love iced tea, sweet, sweet tea. And this guy, his blood runs ice cold, man. You cannot shake this guy. You can't phase him when the pressure is on. So insane job by Cooper Webb. Great job. Gets the win. Unlikely. I mean, there's a few minutes left and you're like, there's no way. He got it done. So congratulations uh, to Cooper Webb. He it's just, just what he does, man. He is so gifted and so uh, capable late in the race. It's just, it's his biggest strength, you know, mental fortitude, racecraft, however you want to uh, describe it. That's who Cooper Webb is. And that's what Cooper Webb does. Number one is of course your points leader. Uh, is, yeah. He's your defending champion at CY Tomac and he deserves to be here, right? He won both series last year. He's still the points leader this year. Now I made an uncharacteristic mistake in race three. And that's fine, whatever. Like, the track was slippery, as I mentioned. He loses the front end there. But I think I'm more concerned with – I don't think he's been the fastest guy for a few weeks now. Um, you go back to Tampa. Well, let's go back even further. Let's go to Houston. I think Sexton was faster than him. I, I think Sexton proved he was faster than him. He couldn't figure out the sand to save his life in the main event. But I think he was faster overall. We go to Tampa. Tomac definitely wasn't the fastest guy there. He got fifth and I mean like half track down on the leaders uh, in Tampa. So that that's not even arguable. Oakland, Sexton was faster. There's no way to get around that. Sexton pulled away from Tomac before he crashed. Tomac gets the win. Didn't really matter, but he wasn't the fastest guy again. Then we come to Arlington and it's hard to say Tomac was the fastest. I don't believe he was the fastest. You know, he wins the first one, but Roxon was all over him. And Roxon hasn't been that great this year. So pressure from Roxon wasn't what I would expect. And then the rest of him, he was kind of under fire the rest of the time. You know, Sexton was faster than him in the last one, but Sexton goes down. And then Tomac had it locked up and crashed on his own. So it's been a little bit of a weird run here for Tomac. And I think the last time I saw him where I thought he was the fastest guy on the track may have been A2. And it wasn't all the time. You know, Sexton, you could make the argument Sexton was faster than him. But Tomac had his moments where I thought, like, he's as good as anybody on the racetrack. So that's been a long time. That's a full month of kind of wondering where, you know, if Tomac's still going to be the best guy. Now, you don't have to always be the best guy. If you're just consistent and you win here and there, that can get it done. But usually Tomac has this speed edge over most, almost everyone. And it's just not quite there right now. So I don't know what to make of that. I don't know how to square that, but it's just something I've noticed. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before I get away from uh, the top 10 is Chase Sexton. And why do I think Chase Sexton's crashing? And I really studied this this weekend because I didn't do television. I will be back doing television for Daytona, just for all those of you who care. But I got to spend a lot of time just watching his technique. What is he doing? How is he going so fast? But also... What is he doing that's putting him in peril and why is he crashing? And the conclusion I came to is both of these things are contributing to the upside and the downside. Okay. He is putting so much pressure 
and so much trust in his front tire and front end that when it's working, he can go so fast. I mean, unbelievable. Like his lean angle coming into the corners and the way he enters the turn is just phenomenal. It is insane. I w- there's no way I could do it. I- I'd put myself in that scenario. I would crash every single time, but his balance and hand-eye coordination is just in- insane. Like, I don't have a better word for it. He's so good at it. And that's how he's turning these in- incredible lap times because it's getting into the corner. He is just throwing the front tire in there and going. Like, no hesitation, no waiting, no kind of like fighting to get in the rut. There's none of that. It is just lean drop it, put the front tire in the rut and accelerate. It is beautiful to watch. It's truly poetry in motion. And for those of you who don't ride a lot, or maybe, you know, you like the sport, but you're, you never raced or anything. I can't describe to you how hard it is to do that. It is just wild for me to watch. And, and I race at a pretty high level for a very long time. Right. So a lot of things don't impress me that impresses me because I know how difficult it is. Like I can't even fathom getting in and out of a corner as quickly as he does consistently. Like maybe once, yeah, okay. I'll just send it in there and hopefully it works out, but to do it corner after corner, time after time, it's, it's magical. It really, really is. Um, so I give him a, just so much credit for being able to do that. But the rub is that's why he's crashing. Uh, it's not, and you could say, okay, it's mental. I, I get it. And maybe a little bit of that mental lack of focus is contributing to him losing the front end. That could be true, but it's losing the front tire. The front tire, he's trusting that front tire so much. And if anything goes wrong, if you miss the rut by half an inch or you have a lapse in concentration, like we just talked about, or you're just have a little bit of arm pump or you're tired or it can be a, a myriad of things. Maybe you chose the wrong front tire for how the track was going to shape up late in the race. It could be anything, but that's what's getting him in trouble. He is losing traction with the front end and still putting so much pressure on it and trusting it to a point that it can't hold up anymore. And then he just crashes and it's either falling over or it's sometimes it's a big one like it was in Oakland or it was in the heat race in San Diego where the front end got away from him going into the corner, kind of exiting the whoops. But it is a consistent thing that I've noticed and I really tried to pinpoint and that's and that's what it comes down to. The front end is going away and he wants to say that he's losing traction. I know this is what's happening and he's not wrong, but you also have to understand that if you are losing traction, you can't trust it that much. Like you have to be uh, proactive in understanding what the front end can bear and what it can't. You have to know the limits of the front tire and know when it's gonna give way. And so it's this blessing and a curse that it's letting him go incredibly fast, but it's also the reason that he's ending up on the ground. So I don't know what the answer is there. Maybe he has to back off a little bit, but it's also you know, the reason he's going so fast. So what do you do with that? Um, this is a very similar problem that James Stewart used to have. James would crash the same way. James's reason was a little different. James's forks were so stiff that he was putting all of the impetus on the front tire exclusively because the front wouldn't dive at all. Like the front wasn't moving. So he's just like, nope, I'm just going to shove the front tire 
into this corner and it's going to stick. And sometimes it did. A lot of times it did. Sometimes it didn't. And you go back and you look at James Stewart's crashes, especially on the Cowie, when you just kind of lose the front end for no reason. That's what's happening. Uh, The front was insanely stiff at the top of the stroke. It doesn't give at all. So when you go into a corner, think about yourself riding for most of you. When you go into the corner, the front end compresses a lot and it puts downward pressure on the bike, changes the geometry and allows you to corner, right? The front end drops, gives you front tire traction and you can corner. This is why uh, Michael Lessey was so good in corners is because he ran really soft forks and he could turn really well. Well, that doesn't work in Supercross. And that's why Michael Lessey suffered so badly in Supercross. The big reason why is because he didn't want to run super stiff forks. The stiffer your forks are, the faster you can go through rhythm sections, through whoops, do all these things. But it also makes it much more difficult to corner. So that's what James Stewart strength and weakness was. It was he could go faster through the whoops. He could stay lower in the rhythm sections because of his stiff forks. But he also lost the front a lot. And it caused him little tip overs a lot because the front was also so stiff. And the front tire was responsible for all the traction. There was no front end compression so that you didn't get that weight transfer. and it he would just have to trust the front tire entirely. The similar, a similar dynamic is playing out for Chase Sexton. I don't think his forks are quite as stiff. I could be wrong there, but I, the same trust and maybe mistrust or wrongly placed trust is happening for Chase Sexton. And that's why you're seeing these crashes. So that's my uh, synopsis of what's going on. I don't know what the answer is to fix it other than you've just got to be mindful of it. Uh, Ricky Carmichael kind of made this point at Oakland when we were talking is like, if you know what your problem is, if you keep losing front end traction, make sure you have front end traction before you turn. Like you need to slide your body forward. You need to maybe soften the forks a little bit. You got to do something. You can't just be, you can't just know that your front end is going to be, suspect to losing traction and then just keep doing the same thing. Like that's not going to work. You can't keep making the same mistake over and over and over without trying to address it. So I'm sure that's what Honda and Chase Sexton are trying to figure out is how do we uh, square that? How do we find the answer we're looking for? Like think about Sexton's crash in the last race where he goes into that right-hand corner after the, he you know, whoops, left, go across the mechanics and right. He just pushes the front, right? And if you go back and watch the race again and you watch the replay, he comes in there. There's no rut or anything. And he just like throws it in there thinking it's going to hold and the front just pushes. And I, like, I'm looking at it going, dude, I understand that you think you can get away with that because you're so good. Like a lot of times you probably can, but the odds are you're going to crash or you keep just blindly throwing your front tire into a corner with no rut. And I watch it. I'm like, come on, man. You can't, you know, you can't do that right there. Like there, there was nothing to even turn on. Um, but that's, that's the magic. That's how we go so fast a lot of times too. So uh, hopefully that gave some of you some insight. Um, I, I really wanted to kind of try to get to the bottom of what was going on with him. And it's just over trusting the front tire. It's just that simple. So honorable mentions this weekend, uh, Dean Wilson got his best finish of the year. He's getting better. Um, it's not, I don't think what exactly what he wants, but he is getting better. Colt Nichols, I have in here, but I don't know what the hell he's doing, man. That wasn't a good weekend for him. He got passed a lot. Benny Bloss passed him and kind of left him. 
I don't know if he was battling the bike or the track or uh, who knows, right? It could something could have been wrong, but um, that wasn't a great weekend for Colt. And I'm a big Colt fan. He just didn't look he didn't look that good this weekend. So I'm sure he'll be trying to rectify that at Daytona. And then on Cincerello, it's a bummer, man. Like that poor guy. You just want him to do all the races this year. We talked we talked about that a million times, and uh, here we are. We're like halfway. And he's missed, uh, he's missed a race already. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this will be the start of, you know, him missing more races or if it will be back at Daytona or what's going to happen. But, um, it's just a, it's just a bad pattern for AC and I hate it for him because I, I like him so much and I'm such an AC fan, but this is just what we've gotten time after time after time. And he knows that like, this is not. This fact is not lost on him, and it weighs on him very heavily mentally. And uh, I don't want to see him bummed out. I kind of have the same feeling with him as I do Sexton. Is like, I just hope somebody around you is telling you that it's not that bad, right? Like you're, you're. I don't say rich. You have made a lot of money. You don't want for financial resources. You're young. You're famous. You have a lot going for you in life. Uh, things aren't that bad. So you can be bummed out. I get it. You, things aren't going exactly how you dreamed them to go, but most people in this world would trade places with you. And don't forget that. Don't, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of great. Um, your your life is pretty awesome. And sometimes you just have to look around and have some perspective on that and say, yeah, okay, I would like this, this and this and that to be better. And I'd love to be a five-time champion and all these things, but things are, things are pretty good. I have a factory bike. I make a ton of money. I've won races and everybody that's ever raced a dirt bike for the most part outside of like a 0.1% would trade places with me. No questions asked, no conditions, no asterisks. They would just trade places. So um, just always remember that. That's my advice to these guys is uh, things are better than they probably feel in the moment. So that's it for this week. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to the sponsors. Thanks for uh, you know spending your hard-earned dollars with them. And uh, yeah, Daytona this weekend, I'll be back on the floor watching TV or excuse, not watching TV, participating in the television broadcast. Steve Mathis will not be there, but Weege will. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, Hope to see some of you there. And uh, thanks again for the support. And we'll talk to you soon. See you.